ADHD almost gave me a way out at a stage when I, because I only got diagnosed as an adult two and a half years into consulting. And then it was like, almost like a, oh, I can blame something else. Like it was like, it's not my fault that I was struggling and that I'd like, I just couldn't manage the workload or do all these things or like in my own perception, not manage the workload, like doing all things that required, but like, you know, just burning, burning oneself out. And I can say, oh, but it's something else. That's the problem. Um, it gives you like this external thing to blame instead of realizing that it's like actually a part of me. So, you know, I, I, th- I feel like it's, it's an interesting like uh, journey there of like how it played out. Struggling in, in a professional context. Oh, I've got something to blame. And then eventually just like completely falling off the cliff and taking a year off. So that was, <laughs> that was probably the best thing I ever did. Hello, PKMers. Welcome back to Personal Knowledge Management with Aiden Halfon, the podcast where I interview fellow PKMers and dive into the unique ways they use their PKM systems for work, creativity, and life. This week, we have Dario Da Silva. He considers himself a generalist with diverse experience across multiple industries, including civil engineering, management consulting, education, and nonprofit organizations. He's someone with ADHD, and one thing that has been consistent is he's always felt burdened by the constant low-level chaos of his mind, and he struggled to stay on top of different streams of information. But then he discovered LogSeek, started creating the One Stuttering Mind YouTube channel with the hopes of sharing some of the tips and tricks about this wonderful tool, which in many ways changed his life. So Dario, I'm so glad that you're, you're here. Uh, and the first the question that I wanted to hit the ground running with, with what is your story? Wow, I like that intro. And I think that comes from some recent thing that I did that's, that's, um, that's making me remember where it came from. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a very large journey over the last 13 years, I guess, because as I say, I started I studied civil engineering and then I worked as a civil engineer for three and a half years. And I just figured that it wasn't for me very quickly. Uh, ended up buying out my bursary and then I jumped into management consulting. And again, just I, I burnt out. So I think a lot of management consultants uh, end up having the same story. Just especially for me, I like going deep into topics, uh, as you can probably tell in my YouTube videos rather than just like. <laughs> going on the surface. Uh, and then I took a year off and traveled the world. Uh, well, not actually traveled the world. I did like a whole bunch of things in South Africa, started a meditation retreat. I went on a meditation retreat, which was like a huge game changer for me. And then did a whole bunch of things just to, um, yeah, really honor myself, honor my body and my mind. Cause I think I, I'd been burning the candle at both ends. And then I got very lucky to find a job with uh, friends who ran a nonprofit and then COVID hit. And then I just got roped into doing absolutely everything that, that uh, one needs to do um, in a company. So I just saw uh, from a very early time in the company, like what, what senior management were needing to do. And that was really a gift. And uh, in that time, someone who... Uh, knows me well, said to me, you need to look at Rome research. And I said, cool, I shall look at Rome research. And I did, <laughs> and I didn't, and I didn't follow up for months. And eventually I did 
uh, I've registered for the free trial and again, just didn't, didn't click with me. And then I've got this like running to do list of things that I need to do, like things that I, or that, that I really want to invest time in. And eventually like I just started investing time in this and came across like the YouTube world of Ali Abdul, Nat Eliasson, and so wow, there's a whole world of this thing out there. And, and this is the sort of thing which I've always been interested in. Like, you know, I read a lot. I listen to a lot. Of, I, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't listen to many podcasts uh, anymore. So yours is the first one that I've, I've listened to <laughs> about a month and a bit. Um, An honor. <laughs> no, and it was good. So uh, yeah, so I just, I, I, I saw that there are people doing the same things that I was doing, but much better. I mean, I had just, a random small gas mode of like all these um, some text files, some Google Docs, some Word Docs, Excel sheets, mind maps that I'd used in like other programs. It was like a whole mess of information. And then I saw that you know Rome could do, integrate that, but then Rome was too expensive. And then I went and I just Googled you know uh, open source alternative. Actually came across Obsidian first. And then tried to tried to work with the program, but it didn't give me that same feel as Rome, like the outliner, block-based, mm-hmm. natural feel. I mean, I know you can do that with plugins now. Like I, there's so many things you learn like after the fact, and maybe my journey would have been very different. But I just happened to be uh, in the in the right place at the right time when LogSeq was starting to become a thing, and I really enjoyed. The, what it was giving me in a work context, particularly because I was taking all these these notes. Um, as I said, I was running a couple of projects and it was just absolute mayhem. And just being able to tag people and then filter those people's tags when when I had meetings, or whatever. That was it was that simple thing which just like got me into like the all which showed me the power of this like link, linked note taking approach. And then from there, I just started migrating absolutely everything across. And yeah, it's been a very rewarding journey since. Wow. That was, that was really incredible. Like it sounds like you first tried out Obsidian and Rome Research before that. But like you said, they didn't give you exactly what it was that you were looking for. Like they didn't resonate in the same way that LogSeq did. So I'm interested to hear, like, what do you think LogSeq gave you that Rome Research and Obsidian did not? So it's interesting. the The thing with Rome Research is that it's was fifteen dollars a month, and I just couldn't I couldn't justify that, just because I wasn't using it that much. I was like, oh, this, why would I pay if I'm not actually getting the benefit from this? And then when I w- went to Obsidian, I didn't even understand the power of like having markdown-based text files. And I, it was like these two worlds, so connected outliner and then Obsidian, which is free, but uh, just like plain text files. And I was like, how, like, how do these two things merge? And there was an, actually another thing that like, played into this. I was living in the UK at the time, and the UK went into hard lockdown in December 2020, up until April. Um, so that gave me a lot of time to just invest in figuring this thing out. So that's when I started the channel. Like it was like there was a good three months of like me figuring out the best way to do things. Like what is what are the end outputs that I wanted? Um and and 
at the time, you know, I thought it was visual graphs. I thought it was going to be something that like, you know, Obsidian does, does very well, but Logsy doesn't do very well. And, and it wasn't that it was just like the markdown, um, or having local access to those files, it being free, not necessarily open source. I think a lot of people, um, open source is a big motivator for them. That's not so much for me. And also just like a good vibe. I mean, I just had a good vibe from the, the community, the developers, something really nice about that. So, you know, I, uh, coming from a non-tech background, you go into a forum like Stack Overflow and it's just people basically jumping down each other's throats and being like, oh, you're doing this wrong. It's just like, a, <laughs> it's a nasty sort of space. Um, and when I saw what was happening in some of the Rome areas or like the Rome community, I was like, mm, that, that doesn't seem very safe. I didn't feel like safe going and asking questions there. Um, and when I started using LogSeq, the forum, well, the, like, there was no document. I mean, they, the documentation still poor, but um, there was no uh, documentation on properties and, and this sort of thing that like, I now have is a big part of my workflow. So I really had to like figure it out and ask questions and, and people were just so helpful. And it was a breath of fresh air coming from this, like I almost expected to be, it was very like affirming almost like, Hey, this, yeah. that works well. So yeah, quick ball. Wow. That's, that's so awesome to hear. Like, it sounds what you're like, what you're saying is in your management consulting background, it sort of felt like a win lose situation where if you tried to ask a question to learn, people would use it as an opportunity to like belittle you or bring you down a notch. And that's interesting where, you say that. I didn't really find that in the management consulting space. I, I like, there's definitely like, elements of superiority and we are better than you and da, 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 and like the hierarchy of you have to go through the ranks of the consulting um, institution. It was actually when I was working for the nonprofit. When oh, I, yeah. We were, yeah. We were working in, huh. in tech education. So we were like training people up to be full stack developers. I wasn't involved in that. I was involved in the recruiting and like the operation side of the business. Yes, yeah. I saw the ethos of some of these in, like communities of of learning, like, like Stack Overflow, like you know, uh, I'm trying to think of other ones that, that spring to mind. But it just only them is belittle. They're just like they're just very harsh in their framing. It's like, oh, you should know this, or da 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 da. And it's like if you're coming in as a mm. beginner, that's like like not what you want to face at all. You're just wanting to have like a nurturing environment of like you know being able to ask questions. So. I mean, the management consulting, I mean, that's a whole nother question of like what tolls that can take on a person, um, like over time, because it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a challenging environment. And yeah, I, I don't have, I got, I've got some good memories of the time, but most unhappy memories, but also like, mm -hmm. you know, just to, just to, I, I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but. I think there's something we love about tangents. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's something about a victim mindset, which is like very dangerous. Like where you say like, ah, woe is me, poor me. I didn't, didn't find it to be like the environment for me. Um, and I definitely think I used to have that mentality when I worked in consulting where I thought, oh geez, this, everything is bad. I get, I got put on bad projects, had one or two managers that I really just didn't gel with and that could be the narrative and it did become the narrative. My first year was particularly rough and it sort of started improving, improving. And then 
I got put back on a project that with a client that I didn't want to work on just because I'd had like some pretty bad experiences. And looking back now, I can see how my mindset really held me back from actually doing better work. And when you, when you spoke about the ADHD in the beginning of the podcast, I, I, it was something that I actually wanted to bring up at some point potentially, because I feel oh, like yeah. a lot of people with ADHD also struggle with that like victim mindset and of like, I have ADHD. Oh, like I, I can't do this or the world is not set up for me. And this, this is difficult. And it really is. But like it can be a very self-limiting belief. And so in some ways, these things become self-fulfilling prophecies. And I know the challenges. I mean, I have my medication this morning. I, I fight between whether I want to take medication or not take medication. It's, uh, you know, it's these little battles that I don't even need to like be arguing. I, I could just take the medication, but I don't want to be dependent on it. And then it's like, oh, but what is dependence? And oh, but what is this? And you know, is it okay? Like, is it normal? What's normal? There's all like a whole range of questions that it brings out. But I think for me, the first thing is to say, like, not be the victim of that situation or of, of something. I think it's, it's difficult. And these are, these are like topics that one has to tread around quite carefully because some people do have like quite bad things afflicting them, not necessarily ADHD, like a broader scope of problem. Um, and we have to be sensitive. But at the same time, I realized that I had seriously limited myself by being the victim of my circumstances. Oh, I, I would like to, to dive into that further. Like, how do you think your ADHD has contributed to your victim mentality? And how do you think if you have like cultivated a healthier mindset? as time has gone on with your ADHD? Whew. That's a very good question. I think the victim mindset for me was, wasn't so much around the ADHD. It, ADHD almost gave me a way out at a stage when I, because I only got diagnosed as an adult two years into consulting and or two and a half years into consulting. And then it was like, almost like a, oh, I can blame something else. Like it was like, it's not my fault that I was struggling and that I like, I just couldn't manage the workload or do all these things or like in my own perception, not manage the workload, like doing all things that required, but like, you know, just burning, burning oneself out. And I can say, Oh, but it's something else. That's the problem. Um, it gives you like this external thing to blame instead of realizing that it's like actually a part of me. So, you know, I, I, th I feel like it's, it's an interesting, like, uh, journey there of like how it played out struggling in in a professional context oh i've got something to blame and then eventually just like completely falling off a cliff and taking a year off so that was that was probably the best thing i ever did but um and 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 what's and what really helped and i guess why i sort of struggle sometimes they're like do i want to take a medication do i not is mm -hmm. uh, getting into to meditation so i, I did a 10 day meditation retreat. Like the first, the first thing I did when I took the year off was I took a 10 day meditation retreat. And I like, I never meditated before. I, you, know, you, you hear all the things, how it's good for you. I think I'd done like the, the headspace, um, starting curriculum of like 10 days. And I'd been like, or I meditated once like with another person, but never really pushed it. 
And I just said, I'm just going to do this 10 day meditation retreat. And it was brutal. Um, <laughs> you're meditating like 10 to 11 hours a day. Um, oh, wow. Seat, yeah. The seating position, just like my back uh, started spasming on day four and it just didn't stop spasming for the next six days. And it was a, a, a major lesson in like what, uh, what one can go, what the, the states of mind that you can achieve and also the states of physical pain that what you can surpass. Um, but not in the set, like, I, I don't think it's like an aspirational thing. So like, Oh, you should do this. Like, I, I don't, I actually am cautious about telling people you should do a meditation retreat like that. Like, I think it is good, but I like it's, it's the style of meditation is like Vipassana. If any of your listeners are familiar or if you yourself are familiar, um, it's, uh, it's quite um, rigid in the way that they they teach the meditation. Like literally, it's like you go into the hall and then you sit and they, they teach you the Anapana technique, which is breathing through your nose and just feeling the air on top of your lip. And for three days, you do that. And then the fourth day, and the reason why I started cramping was just because you have to, uh, it moves into more of a body scan. And then there's a, a period of strong determination, they call it, where you sit for an hour without moving um and that's where my body really started because <laughs> you you don't realize like how many times you're moving just normally it's like oh, a little shuffle here oh, there's a little pain there um and and there's some, i don't know if you've ever done cbt which is cognitive behavioral therapy i have not it's a it's a it's a therapy technique i know i know what it is but yeah. Yeah. So when when i was in management consulting I, I did some of that just to like manage the anxiety and I sort of found myself playing mental gymnastics, like, oh, this is just a thought loop. This is just like, ah, oh, this isn't going to work. But when you're sitting in meditation and like you are unable to move and like you already just have yourself there and you're trying to, you know, confront these or move beyond things or um, transcend the pain, if one can call it transcending, um, it, it becomes really practical. Like there's, the sensations are arising and passing away. And there's a, there's a saying of like impermanence, like everything is impermanent. And, uh, yeah, it's so funny because at the end of the, the, the meditation sessions, the, the, the teacher, and you're listening to audio recordings from like the nineties of, of this, um, this teacher from, uh, Myanmar, but, uh, I think it's Burma. Yeah. Uh, and he goes, Anicca, and, it, and that word is impermanent. I don't want to shout it too loud because I don't know what's going to do to the distortion, but it's like, oh, my word, thank goodness, because you're like, yes, it's impermanent, but my word, I'm suffering. Um, so, yeah, it's been a hu- that's been a huge part of my journey, actually. Um, I, I, like, I try, I try to incorporate me- these like, messages of um, just compassion for self um, because, I mean, I was the person that everyone would say, oh, you're being so hard on yourself. Stop being so hard on yourself. And it's like, that is, when it, whenever I used to hear that advice, I was like, what, that, what are you talking about? That's so much easier said than done. And in this meditation retreat, they talk about a meta meditation, which is a loving kindness meditation. And, mm-hmm. and others have spoken about it. And like, eventually, like what I did is I just put my a picture of myself as a three-year-old on, on my phone background. And that was like a huge journey for me where you like realize like, oh, it's just, I'm just a kid who's grown up and had circumstances to deal with. And yeah, 
I feel like we've gone down a serious tangent, yeah. So <laughs> pull me back into PKM. <laughs> no, I I really think that is actually very related, um, and I'll show you how. Which is, I think from my own experience, and I'd be interested to ask you after I say this from your own experience that meditation is fundamentally related to PKM because. In many ways, I think PKM is a spiritual practice. And what I mean by that is personal knowledge management is a way of diving deeper into yourself because if you come in to PKM with a cluttered mind, with the wrong mindsets, then your PKM system is going to be cluttered and actually make your life worse. <laughs> it's going to turn it into another thing to uh, procrastinate on other work or another thing to like store just boatloads of information in without actually creating anything about it, using it for anything. So meditation for me is very it's crucial to becoming more aware inside of your PKM system, like really noticing the feelings and the thoughts that arise when you're exploring it. Like, how does this piece of information make you feel? How does this organizing method make you feel? And that awareness completely changes the entire practice. I think like one uh, quote, which really resonated with me from Tiago that encapsulates this like so well is PKM is a Trojan horse to self-awareness, right? And that's because it really shows you who you are as a person. Like what are your interests? What are your, uh, what what information resonates with you what are your values like what what are what relationships matter to you and that can all be uncovered through really diving into a pkm system so i'm interested to hear from you like how do you think that your adhd and meditation have affected the way that you your relationship with your pkm system hmm. that is interesting i think i think i first want to comment there on a little bit of of, of what you yeah said. um and then i'll get to adhd like how it's impacted my my um my pkm um i like the the analogy of like it's a of, of it being a spiritual practice because i i feel like it has helped me in in what yoga says with that like that reflection just being able to like look back. So maybe let me tie that in. It's like really being able to easily look back. So having the daily journal first approach and then seeing different things. And I've developed a system of tags like reflections or um, relationships and with, with people. And then I'm like, I'm able to like go back and look through these things and, and also identifying like triggering emotions or triggering thoughts and then like putting that in and like being able to like go back and look at it and just develop a meta awareness of what's happening there. So it's definitely been you know, a part of the journey for me. I think I would, I would, 
hesitates to agree with the the clutteredness being a bad thing, depending on how we define cluttered. But good, I think good if point. cluttered is a collection of other people's thoughts, and it's just like you're just like using it like Evernote, like a web clipper. I agree with that. I really like Nick Milo's uh, discussion about being a note maker versus a note taker. But um, I, I, I think to encourage anyone who feels like their PKM system is cluttered, mine is definitely cluttered. And it's cluttered <laughs> with my own thoughts, um, with just like this thing, this thing, this thing. And I think that's how I, that's how I in, enter information. That's why the outline is just so good for me, because it's just enter bullet point, this other tag, enter bullet point, some other random thing. It's just like complete, there's no structure to my days. And then later on, when I'm, going back and reviewing the things that need to be reviewed, I distill that. And I've, I've developed systems for myself to you know, manage different things. So be it emotional awareness, um, looking at things uh, in a work context. So if I ask you about other people feedback with like difficult discussions going on, how do I assimilate the information that I'm just depositing in my, in my system? Um, so that's a big part of, of yeah, m- making things better. I think one thing which I am very cautious of, and I think it, I think Bob may have spoken to it in the previous podcast, but it's this idea of like spiritual materialism, um, where it's like we look at ourselves and, and, and start becoming some sort of, we are defined by our, our pursuits in spirituality in some senses. But for me, what this looks like is treating ourselves as a project that we are this person that we need to improve for the rest of our lives. It's not saying that one should be improving oneself or, um, yeah, be, be developing, but there's like, a, I think there's a cult of self-development and, and, and I'll, I'll get, I want to turn this back on you as a question because like, yeah, if I had the whip of like, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough previously, I can definitely see how people can continue doing that even in the personal knowledge management space. Like I'm not doing this well enough. I'm not doing this. And it just becomes this like continual self-flagellation. So maybe to flip it back to you, because I think when I was in university, I wish I'd had YouTube to like learn about something, <laughs> you know, X Microsoft yeah. Excel AutoCAD for like being able to draw engineering diagrams. So I find there to be a lot of like motivational content Yes. And I feel like it is always positioned as be better, do more, be the, be the best version of yourself. How do you interact with that information? Like, have you found that to be, uh, or have you found any negative reactions in yourself to that information or how, how do you manage that, that your input streams to filter through what, like, what you're actually wanting to look for? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. I remember I was walking in the Adirondacks about two years ago with my mom, my dad, and my brother. It was absolutely gorgeous. Like the birds were chirping in the forest. There was like these big trees next to us. Sun was shining through. And my parents were pissed at me because for the last two hours, all I had told them the entire time was get readwise. You need to get readwise right now so that you can sync your highlights all the way to your your note-taking app of choice. I was basically forcing them to try and make the same improvement that at least I thought of it as an improvement 
that I had made over the last few months. And later that night, I remember I was reading this book called Think Again by Adam Grant, which is a book about how important it is to be open-minded. And one of the ideas which really struck me in that book was when you are going through a period of change, but it could be like self-improvement, you, if you're not careful, can project that on other people because you don't feel whole in yourself. You're uncomfortable with the change you're going through. When I read that, I realized that the way I was going about self-improvement at that time was very much from an attitude of, I'm not good enough. I need to do this. Otherwise, I'm not a worthy human being. And I think the mindset that I have... Actually, what I'll say is like, I think the way self-improvement culture is, is at large right now is that's the underlying implication of it is like you, everyone is, everyone needs to improve themselves so that they can actually like be worthy human beings in this world. And I think the, the mindset shift that I have now is I very much still read books that are bent on the idea of like, I want to get better at this skill. I want to learn how, uh, learn about this topic. But I do so from the stance of I am doing this because I want to and I am uh, like I am a human being that is that is worthy of of love even if I didn't and changing that mindset like reframing it to that has completely altered the the way that that's uh, like what you could say self-improvement has has manifested itself because I don't feel like there's a hole in myself. Like I, I, and I don't project onto other people telling them they have to make the same changes as me. And the last thing I'll say, which I think is a very crucial idea that I, I, I've been learning through reading some books on spirituality is if you go into a, a self-improvement venture or uh, a spiritual practice with the idea that you are doing it for the sole purpose of like improving yourself, you are in essence building your ego more, right? So, paradoxically, in order to become what they would call in the spiritual literature, like enlightened, um, in order to try and get closer to pursue enlightenment, you actually need to not have that as your goal in the first place. Like you do the practice for the practice in itself. You don't do it because it's going to make you uh, more focused or more relaxed. Like those are all side effects that will come from the practice. But if those are like the sole emphasis, it could turn into an ego building exercise if you're not careful. Yeah. I really like that. I think it reminds me that it's one of those things that cannot be pursued directly like happiness you can't pursue happiness directly it's the byproduct yeah yeah of other things i should don't like the word happiness i think the word joy is much better because it's more like long lasting like happiness feels like situational but yeah 
<laughs> big topics. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Did did you have any any thoughts on on what it like? Did you agree or disagree at yeah, large, I, or do you I, just not even know? I really like it. I, I think it it's there's some the idea of like the projecting onto others and, and starting from the place of being whole is really um really important there's a guy sasha chapin who wrote a, a blog post on deep okayness which i think I'll, I'll i'll share with you afterwards which is like Ooh, it speaks yeah. to what you're talking about now like when you start from the position of deep okayness in the world and then you move from there instead of like trying to fill a void i, I still think it's like a, it's it's such a difficult um position to be in because you know yeah i think you, you're on YouTube as well. And, and in the sense of like, you're also creating videos for YouTube and, and everything is like this geared towards harnessing someone's attention. And like, um, and there's so much like scarcity mindset of like, Oh, if you don't do this, you're not going to be, you're not going to be keeping in touch with people or like, you know, Oh, this is the, the latest and greatest thing. You better do this. Otherwise you'll be falling behind. And I, I think that's like, I, I've just turned my, my home feed off. Um, yeah. I, I've got a Chrome extension that just, I don't see any videos. That's great. I only go and I see my, the few channels that I've subscribed to. And that's like, that's how I manage like this, this overflow of information. And like, oh yeah, I, I love that with that. I have the same thing on my, on my YouTube, like those, those home videos, that's how they get you. Yeah. Like you go on and it's like, uh, turtle eats entire jar of peanut butter while jumping off cliff and you're just like i have to watch that <laughs> and yeah it's i really resonate with that so good. <laughs> yeah yeah i wanted i wanted to dive more into like what you use log seat for yourself and yeah so like what what in specific do you use log seat for sure that is there's, there's a lot in there. So I, 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 I yeah. think, um, I use it in absolutely every facet of my life. Like when I'm, when I'm at my computer, log seek is open. Um, so there's like, and, and I think about personal knowledge management as a set of five P's. I don't know if, uh, I've, I've published much on this, but the first one is planning. So basically like thinking about like who it is that I want to be in the world. What are the things that I want to do? Um, you know, broad, a broad spectrum of activities, right? And then the second P is plowing. So it's all takes from like the digital garden analogy. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is plowing, like creating the structures that will enable me to like find the things that I need that will enable me to plant at a later stage. And yeah, that's like just like also creating the links between information. And then the third P is planting. So that's just like grabbing everything from from anywhere that's like, like and i that's my commonplace book i just released a video on that a few weeks ago which is um just thinking of it as like in some senses a dumping ground for anything that comes up but it's not like a, i don't use it as a web tipper where i'm like grabbing whole articles or whatever it's just like snippets of information i i love screenshotting things and just like um, dropping them into logseq just to, to have things for later reference and that but and that's for that's across domain so it's like um, typically people think about knowledge management or personal knowledge management as just like grabbing other people's thoughts, like from Twitter, from this article, from a book, my book highlights. That's one aspect of planting. The other one is like my 
my own writing, my journal, my ideas, my uh, like random snippets that, that come up for me. And I, I, that's all placed in LogSeq. I try to d- divide them a little bit. And then I also do um, work notes, so meeting notes and project thinking. And like, you know, it's, it's this weird thing where I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to, to tell people about how, like, why LogSeq has been so transformational. It's because I just dump all my thinking in there. And it's, and it's then there for later use. So from a work like workplace perspective as well, like I'll say hashtag ideas, hashtag company, and then just start typing ideas and I can filter that out when I need it. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's like basically what I do in the planting side. And then propagating is like growing those things. So writing, um, all the, all the, the articles that I write, all the YouTube videos, all the, the things that I've been thinking about, all the work that I did when I was in um, previous companies, well, at least in this uh, nonprofit, like all of that was in LogSeq, like thinking about like the, um, yeah, the different elements of work, like an email, or is it like having to write a project brief or keeping track of like, some major conversation i'm moving some stuff across to tana now which i think is another whole discussion if you want to go there um and that's because of the last p is probing and that's about resurfacing information and also finding out like the status of things and i found tana to be really good for that project management side of things so i I think in terms of open loops, like I have all these things that are taking up cognitive headspace or cognitive bandwidth. And I had a a system of tags in LogSeq. I still have that system, but I'm trying to move some of those things into Tana just because it's like a little bit more tasky and like, I don't want to, I'm trying to separate my tasks and my project management from, uh, from my actual writing and thinking. And so far it seems to be working. I mean, I can, I can do both in LogSeq, but it just requires a little bit more work, a little bit more like advanced queries. And that's not the sort of thing that like I want to spend my time on, um, in terms of learning how to use advanced queries. Like if I can just do something else in another program and it gives me exactly what I want. I mean, it's not, I think, I think people want a one stop shop. I wanted a one stop shop and I probably still want a one, one stop shop. And I'm just post rationalizing the fact that Logsy can't do <laughs> what Tana can do. And then I'm saying, Oh, but I'm doing it in Tana because I want to separate it. Like if I could do it in Logsy, bet your bottom dollar, it would be in Logsy, but, um, I can't. So I'm doing it in Tana. And yeah, that's like the, the basic, um, the basic framework that I use. So really like holistic. Looking at, and also like thinking about life and like a long-term perspective, like you know, where do I want to be in five years, 10 years? And again, not like, I'm not trying to be too prescriptive of like this much money or this location or it's just like, what sort of person do I want to be? Do I want to have kids? How do I want to be with my kids? How do I want to be with my partner? How do I want to like, it's more, uh, there's a separate separation between like doing and being. Someone I used to work with always like, we, we are human beings, not human doings. The being <laughs> states of mind, like you want to be, there's something beautiful about like encompassing a set of values rather than like, I have ticked this box. It's like, yeah. no, I, I, I am ticking that box for the rest of my life or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. So that's all in LogSeq. And uh, yeah. I, I really resonate. Yeah. 
Did you have one other thing? No, you I, mean, I, just, I, I can't think of anything that's like not in LogSeq at the moment. That's like some diagrams or whatever, like workflow diagrams aren't in LogSeq. That's about, um, oh, okay. And then maybe I'm being a bit dramatic there because like I do use, I use Airtable, I use draw.io, I use, um, <laughs> I use Tana, I use, I even use, I use, even use Obsidian because Obsidian, you can like edit the markdown files and publish them, um, directly. Well, I, I don't use Obsidian Publish. I use something else, but like, it's nice to be able to see it in the final format. So I use all of those things, but the majority of my like written thinking is in LogSeq. So, yeah. Wow. That is, it's so, so awesome to hear like just how life changing this app has been. And, and the last thing you said, I think is very important because even with how incredible LogSeq has been for you at the end of the day like the most important thing is how do you want to be in the world like what are your values what are how do you how do you want to show up in your relationships in your work in your spiritual life like that ultimately determines how you do things because that uh it it's like the foundation of what you do, right? If you didn't know what your values were and then you tried to like do things, you're kind of going to be like aimless in how you would actually come across to them. And like going back to what we said earlier about how PKM is a Trojan horse for self-awareness, I, I have a thing that I call lifestyle design. Uh, it's a mock inside of my Obsidian uh, database. And the idea is lifestyle design is the art of creating a life that resonates with you by uncovering your values, your the values that uh, aren't as important. And then the relationships like most important to you and like your your dreams for the future. And the way that you do that is I think very much assisted by having a PKM system because of how powerful journaling especially is inside of PKM. Like I personally have a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly review system inside of Obsidian. And oh my God, has that been helpful for learning more about myself because you start to see these consistencies in how certain activities make you feel, what certain people make you feel, what values when you live by them fill you with energy and make you sat uh, make you uh, satisfied with how you came across in your life at the end of the day, and then you're able to start like designing a life that you think most resonates with who you are whether and and that's through a process of like you know pre-scheduling stuff in your calendar and um venturing into like getting new books that you want to read based off of that um yeah i think i just think it's like a beautiful process of self-awareness that is made so much better when you have a pkm system that works for you yes i I think that's such a good point around the the reviews being like a critical part. I wish I was more disciplined about that. If I'm honest, like I'm not as disciplined as I as I'd like to be. 
um, perhaps worthwhile to investigate that in the next next few months. Um, mm. I, but I, the one thing which I can see has been very interesting for me in the last few months is that I had all these goals, and I one of the goals was to speak Portuguese. Now, I'm Portuguese by by national. Well, my parents are Portuguese, and I'm first generation South African. And I've got one remaining grandparents, and uh, we're now going to Portugal in this week, leaving on Thursday. And I've always wanted to speak Portuguese. I've done, I've done courses, I've done, and just never fully grasped it. And I'm quite proud of myself because over the last two months, I finally feel like I've gotten to a level where I can have a conversation with my grand. And it'll be terrible and... <laughs> Like it's not going to be like fluent in any sense, but like I, I'll understand a lot more and I'll be able to speak, which is an important thing for me. And that was all because I actually just started breaking things down and saying, just putting it into the calendar. And I am not good with that. Like I am, I have this aversion to doing things. Like I, I sort of, uh, and and you know, people can say that's ADHD. I think it's just like the general human condition. Like some people are just good at like putting tasks in the calendar and time blocking and doing it. Like I just sort of wiggle around and be like, mm, I'm going to follow this path. This is the easy. This is the path of least resistance. And I just committed to getting a Portuguese tutor. There's like a website called iTalki, which is you pay five dollars for half an hour, nothing. And I just booked a lesson, and I was like, I am going to start. Um, and I would take notes on all my lessons, and yeah, now. I've used a couple of other apps as well. So it's not just like, oh, PKM did this all for me. But like like saying, putting it in a place that I see it every day and then and knowing that I'm going to see that every day <laughs> and having then implementing some mechanisms of accountability, that's been, that's been a game changer. And like, you know, I nearly cried the other day when I had a conversation with my parents in Portuguese wow. and, and I was just like, I can finally do this. I'm yeah, twenty something years old, and I can finally speak Portuguese. <laughs> and the first thing you did was swear at them in every single Portuguese word that you could think of. <laughs> I actually don't know that many. Like, I've been very oh, dang! That, that's the first. That's the number one rule of language learning: is you always learn the curse words first. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to be a, something to do. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, like it sounds like even though you said you aren't doing reviews to the extent you you might want to explore in the future like in many ways that is a similar uh, idea is like you have a system that reminds you of the goals that you set out for yourself by seeing them every single day and like having having quite a few ADHD friends myself I can totally see the power in that because I mean you can tell me if I'm describing it accurately, but it's very easy for someone with ADHD. Uh, I know there's a whole spectrum of like the degree of, of different ADHDs, but like, you know, you see something novel and then suddenly boom, <laughs> you're on that and then boom. And then you're not even anywhere near the original goal that you'd set out for yourself. So those yeah. reminders are fantastic. And, 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 you know, just something I was thinking about now relates to, I don't know if you asked earlier, maybe a pre-discussion, but um, things that I've learned um, along the way, 
And though that's one of them. It's like being able to keep some things top of mind. It's like it basically, it's like me having on this wall a set of things that I, that, that I see every day. And, and that's how I've, I've configured my LogSeq um, and, and, um, and Tana to make sure that things are top of mind that needs to be top of mind. And the rest yeah. just falls by the wayside. And that's okay. Like you don't have to hold on to every thought. Like I have dreams of maybe writing a book one day and I've got thousands of little excerpts that I've been writing in. And, it, and if necessary, I can go and find them all by querying or whatever. But like I highly doubt it. Like for me, what's top of mind at the moment is this goal, this project, this thing. And so long as I can come into my computer or come into my workspace and know that I am on track, uh, that there's nothing that I'm dropping, that I'm like, I am, in some sense, it's like saying I'm becoming the person that I want to be. Like I have this vision for myself and it's like, okay, cool. I want to be able to speak Portuguese. Ah, ah, there we go. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm adding in, well, I'm stepping into that reality. It's like almost like I'm creating an alternate reality there that I'm then stepping into. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that lesson. Like keeping top of mind what is most important. And, and what you just said reminded me of a note I have in my Obsidian system, which I think might be like my m- most important essential note out of like all the 5,000 or something that I have. And that is literally just a note that says, who am I? Who, yeah, who am I? And it has like, uh, what do I value in life? Like six surprisingly important values and then three surprisingly unimportant ones. And then like a life like that basically is a sentence of what it is that I want to theme my life around. Um, and for me, it's like help others create an idea environment that helps them realize their best self. And then like the, I have a, I have a note in here of like the characters of my internal empire, which is basically me taking every recurring thought loop that I have and then, uh, anthropomorphizing them into like huh. characters, uh, and then like interests and like, who do I admire and respect and like, what is, uh, what quotes resonate with me and then like my 12 favorite questions and then like a, a win board and a criticism board. And the the reason I think this relates to what you're, you just said is like humans are, humans are silly creatures. And if we do not remind ourselves of like, what are we actually trying to do here over the long term? Like, how are we trying to come across to others and ourselves? then we'll probably fall for the shorter term dopamine pleasures of like, I don't know, eating a donut or uh, going to take like a hot bath uh, like 50 times in a, in a month or something. Uh, we just won't like do things that, res- that, that are true to ourselves. And that's similar to what you just said with like, keeping top of mind what is most important to you at the time so that you don't get lost in the the weeds by jumping into something else. Can you say more about that, those characters in your head, the anthropomorphizing? Yeah. I, I quite like that. That sounds like a great activity. No, it really was a fantastic activity. And you know, one of the reasons it was so powerful before I go into them is once you anthropomorphize them, like you give names to the characters, 
when those thought loops come up, you are not as taken aback by like the anxiety, the uncertainty of like, what is this? You know, what, like, why am I thinking this? You, you can rather say, oh, that's that. That's that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not that person. So, so I'll tell you the four that I have in summary. I definitely have other thought loops, but these are the ones I think are most prominent. Uh, first, there's Busy Bert. <laughs> so, Busy Bert wants to do things optimally. If there's five minutes before the laundry goes out, he doesn't want to sit and wait for five minutes doing nothing. That's time to optimize. <laughs> he wants to find some way to spend it effectively. Um, so, that's Busy Bert. Then there's uh, Aurelius, which you might recognize as the last name of Marcus Aurelius. And Aurelius cares about building character. He believes it's in the building of a fantastic character and exercising of it that the most honorable best life is lived. Uh, He understands that not every moment of every day can be done in good character, but is bent on improving over time. Every action that that Aiden does is to be run through an analysis for how it speaks to and builds his character. Uh, so this can be both a blessing and a curse because it means like, yeah, over time, character is built, but it also means like every single action that you take is scrutinized under like the moral magnifying glass, which can make it like very difficult to live life sometimes because the most small things Aurelius will be like, oh, you're a bad person. Like... It could literally be as simple as getting a Diet Coke, which I see as like, Aurelius sees as like, okay, this is something that you don't really need to do self-care. Like there are much better ways to do self-care. And also it is a purely like self-pleasurable thing. Mm. It doesn't help anyone else. So just the act of buying that can be like this incredibly somehow moral thing um, to this uh, to Aurelius. And then the last two, which I'll summarize quick, are Curious Cameron. Uh, Curious Cameron is insatiably curious about the world, deeply intrinsically driven by a hunger to learn more and understand more about the world. Um, he hates being put onto a rigid curriculum, being unable to veer and explore what new ideas interest him in his own way. And then finally, uh, Hungry Hannah. <laughs> Uh, Hannah is the past residual hunger that came out of Anna, Aiden's horrible anabolic dieting experience. That's a whole nother story. Um, while she isn't a constant insurmountable hunger, she comes in short bursts to remind Aiden to eat throughout the day because food food tastes good. Um, she is in turmoil most with Aurelius because Aurelius understands that food, especially if eaten alone, is simply a biological need that doesn't have any intrinsic worth to others. Um, or put any objective good in the world. Now, I don't, I'm not saying I agree with all these characters. <laughs> I'm just saying like, that's the thought loop that comes up. That's the, that's the extreme characterization of them. Yes. Like the, the, po- the poles. The poles. Um, yeah. I, I think that's such a, that's such a good activity to do. And I'm, I'm probably going to do that because I can see the, like, you know, I mean, I, I see similar elements myself. I would say that my Aurelius has been tamed over time (laughs) sometimes like you know life is hard i think we need like it it can also be amazing but like life can also be hard and we need to give ourselves a break like giving ourselves a pat on the back and and a friend says to me often 
more so in the last week or so. It's like, Dario, sometimes you just need to give yourself a hug and like <laughs> realize that you're doing the best you can and like, yeah, you, you'll be okay. Like ultimately you'll be okay in the world. Um, and that's been, yeah, very comforting for me. And it's, it's nice to see how I've progressed like over time as well, like where you know, I just used to be a complete asshole to myself. Um, but yeah, wow. very, very cool activity. I'm going to go. I'd be very so. interested if you end up doing it, actually, if you're comfortable, like sending me what you end up coming up with. Cause like you just said, it's very, you, you definitely resonated with some of those. Um, but there are differences as well. Yeah. So I would be interested. Have you ever done parts therapy? Like internal fam- no. internal family. Tell systems. me. It, it talks about this, like your different the different parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the guy's name? Doesn't matter. Um, Richard Swartz, I think. He talks about how there are these different parts, and in his therapy, you, you you start speaking to your different parts. You embody a calm state, and you start engaging with different parts. And one of the parts that came up for me, and I can like this would be the the part that like. Um, is is anthropomorphized was Mr. Chimp. And Mr. Yeah. Chimp just wants to be, like break shit. <laughs> like literally just like ah, like this is so frustrating. Like I just want to like yeah. Um and being able to recognize those parts and being like, okay, cool. There's a part of me that just like has some serious aggression and just needs you know, just a little pat on the back. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know what what what. Like maybe I should write a little bit more about Mr. Chimp. But <laughs> when, when you said when you said Mr. Chimp, for the first thing that popped in my mind is just like a chimp in a suit with like this massive cigar, like smashing his hand against a table, and I can't get that image out of my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much what it was. No cigar, but like smashing hand against table, like yeah. And it, there's actually a book called The Chimp Paradox. Um, I haven't I haven't read Ooh. it. Um, it talks about uh, how we all just chimps. You know, we 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 have a, a developed neocortex, but our primal operating system is a limbic brain, um, and then b like the the older cortex. Um, so I, I think limbic is like your lizard brain and then it's like your mammalian brain and then the neocortex. So all these things are really like operating at like deep levels. And part of the, the practice of awareness is just seeing, oh, that's, you know, this response. I'm actually safe now. I don't need to react like that. Um, yeah. I think that's a big one for me. It was like flat or fright, flat, fright, freeze or porn. Yeah. Um, just talks about how we respond in stressful situations and there's something to just being aware of like that the, these deep natural responses and saying actually that's okay i don't need to respond like that i'm safe in the world and one thing that really connects to that is is breathing because if you think about it like if you are preparing to run away or you know, fight either so fight or fight or flight your body needs to like you like in a state of high tension so you're you're holding your breath you getting ready to fight but if you can breathe out very slowly and calmly it's almost sending a message to your body like physically that like actually i don't need to fight off like because in that situation you'd never breathe slowly you'd be like (gasps) hyperventilating you'd hold your (laughs) breath 
but you're just saying to your body, it's okay. You're okay. <laughs> That's been helpful. Yeah. I think breathing, meditation, journaling, and maybe if you're in yoga are like literally all you need to like get just absolutely insane benefits. Um, now, as we talked about earlier, like the benefits are not the, necessarily the point, but uh, they are like the side effects of, of, mm-hmm. doing, of doing all of them. Um, yeah, what, what, one of the things that you said earlier, which really struck out to me, was like the, remember when you were talking about that lesson that you learned about like the top, uh, top of mind and like putting stuff in your PKM system that would remind you of what you were trying to do. And I wanted to ask you what other essential lessons you've learned along your PKM journey. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the having things top of mind and, and, and letting things fall away. I think that's a, that's a huge one though. Like not everything has weight. Like in the moment, it seems like it has weight, but by the, the frequency with which you revisit those links or, you know, that you need that information, it shows you that things often just fall away. And, and so in a sense, it's impermanence. It arises and it passes away. So it's also given me freedom to, to say, I don't have to capture every thought. I don't have to capture every nugget. Like there's a, there's a level, there's a deeper level of trust that like, it's okay. I actually know these things. Or like, I'll remember this thing. Okay. Reminders are a different story. Like reminders, I write them all down because I know that I'll forget things. So, um, but yeah, being comfortable with letting things fall away. Um, but also getting things out of my head, being able to write it down, create some sort of narrative, even if it's with myself. And then, yeah, looking back over the years and seeing, wow, that was very harsh. Why did pastoria need to be so harsh? Um, so that, that's, that's been a huge thing for me. In terms of the, 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 the technicalities, structuring too much can be negative. Um, or, or, or trying to like build a system, a perfect system from the get go. And I, I mean, I tried to do this with a Zettelkasten where every note was tagged and this and this and this. And then I, you know what I did? It took me a day and I never looked at those notes again. Literally not again until like I had to reshuffle them into my new system, which is just basically like a, a dump of everything. And then I start dragging and dropping and, and, and moving things around. Um, so I think there's something, who said it? Oh, Ryan Holiday. He, he talks about these commonplace books as well. He, he, um, Ooh, yeah. wrote the obstacles, the way, um, if you like. Yeah, I read that. Stoicism. Okay. Um, and he talks about your use being what dictates how you use your commonplace book. So like, I, I need to use it for this. Let me go and search that thing. And I think it's a similar thing with our PKM systems. Like, it's all good and well to have this fancy system. I mean, I'm very inspired by Maggie Appleton. Uh, I don't know if you've seen her work. Um, oh, her just brilliant illustrator, but also knows so much about programming and like user experience, just like a very holistic um, feel for, well, feel like expertise of this whole domain. Like, you know, probably one of the people who pushed the new computing paradigms forward. Um, but she, she's got this amazing blog where she like has this system for, for creating evergreen notes and then 
displaying them on her website and then letting people comment and then she like goes and, and, and tweaks that. You know, I would love to be the sort of person who does that. And that's why I spend so much time setting up that system. And I realized that I'm just not the sort of person who's going to do that. I don't have the, the energy, the, the motivation, the skill, like maybe the skills if I really wanted to push and get better at like my coding and stuff, but I, not, not, not for now. Um, so yeah, like there's, there's a lot of value in, in watching what other people do and, and seeing how, like how technical you can, you can go. But like becoming comfortable with one's own approaches and also not having to add too much extraneous information or like extra like all the metadata in the world so that I can structure this thing in this five different ways. Um that's been a big, big journey. I'm still learning. So yeah, you were you were just talking about lessons you've taken away and like one of the most important being that uh, y- you should not create a rigid organizational structure off the bat because you might be organizing more than you need to. Uh, Like Nick Milo said something which really resonated with me and that is organization should be earned. Yeah. You, you, if you start with someone else's system in its entirety, there is the chance that they organize in a way that you just do not resonate with. And it's much harder to change it after the fact. Uh, yeah. It's much easier to add something than to take it away. It's like, you know, if you're cooking and you add too much salt, you're screwed. But if you're cooking and you add too little, it's like you're fine. You yeah, that's a, a very good, good way of putting it. Um, another thing, just speaking to that, is just being comfortable with following your own flow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I spoke about how I looked at Maggie Appleton's system and was like, oh, this is impressive. And I wanted to be able to do that. And then, Realizing that over time, that's not going to be me and then accepting that and um, not worrying about having to be some sort of picture. Like, I'm very impressed by the work that you're putting out. And I mean, the podcast and, and the, your newsletter and the YouTube channel, there's, all, there's, there's a lot of things going on there. Now, I can imagine that people getting started would be like, oh, I have to be doing these things too. And I think that's like... That's a false, um, a false, uh, what's it, requirement that they're placing on themselves because, yeah. you know, it's just, I think you enjoy this. You, you're good at it. Um, you know, people, you don't have to do all these things. I think there's, there's a, there's a lot of the creator economy that's recursive in the sense of like become a creator to help other people become creators to become this. So I quite like what you're doing in the sense of like pursuing personal knowledge management instead of like, you know, helping people become a creator, um, which is good in its own right. Like I'm, not, I'm just saying that there's a lot of that, like where people then everyone's creating content for the sake of creating content for the sake of creating content. There's something about, uh, which I really appreciate is like you're creating content for the love of BKM and for the opportunity to explore. Um, yeah. Which is cool. I think that's such a, well, first you thank you so much. That means a lot. Um, but like, secondly, I completely agree. If you should not, if you're getting into PKM, do all four of those things at once. In fact, like probably my biggest mistake that I made getting into content creation was trying to do too much in too little time. Like I started my YouTube channel 
more than two and a half years ago in like March of 2021. And a YouTube channel, I would argue, is still the most hard thing I do to this day. Like it requires the most... Um, Oh, oh, you're still there. You yep. were just, you were like so still that I thought your screen was frozen. You were like, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> the screen this is, is my, gone. My, list, my listening face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we're good. We're good. I thought you died or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So keep that in. Definitely keep that in. <laughs> we should definitely, definitely keep that in. It's funny because they can't see you. So they're just yeah. going to have to imagine what that's like. Um, yeah, so like I, I did the YouTube channel, which 100% takes the most effort to this day. Like you need to uh, video record, you need to know how to record, you need to know how to edit, like, you know, create a script, like there's so much involved. But then like, just a bit into it, probably like two months in, I was like, I'm going to start a blog and then I'm going to do a newsletter. And that was a horrible idea because that basically made it so that I couldn't actually get invested in any one of them, right? I was stagnating in my improvement in each medium because all I was trying to do was survive every single upload date that I'd set for myself. Oof. So if you're starting in PKM, do not do that. Have, I strongly encourage you to have a creative outlet but make that creative outlet uh, a probably not YouTube to start off. I think the YouTube channel is really, really a lot goes into that. You have to know, you have to be really into it. Um, not necessarily from the beginning, but you have to be resilient because <laughs> it will crush you if you're not. Um, and yeah, like do maybe like uh, just a really easy blog or a social blog, like Medium or something. And yeah. create stuff on it. Yeah. Um, YouTube will crush you. That's, that's the truth. <laughs> Wait, are you speaking from experience? It's uh, like yeah, with your... I feel like, again, I got lucky. Like, I, I watched the stats um, and, yeah, check the analytics. But I have a friend who I, I chat to quite regularly and he's got a channel, different, completely different niche. But, you know, it just hasn't broken 125 subs and like high quality content, but it's like very niche South African politics. Um, and it just makes me appreciate like I, you know, there's something about being in the right place at the right time. And mm -hmm. I started making content when LogSeq was small and like the community was small. There was no one else or there was a couple of other people and there's still some people making content, but like. I don't want to undermine the fact that I put a lot of effort into it and that like I do have a different like long form approach and that like I like going deep into stuff. But um, it's it's a success depending depending on how you define success in the sense of maybe just getting monetized is a number of factors. So um, I feel like I I was very fortunate um, in my journey. Um, so you know, talking about obsidian, if I'd got an insubsidian that time when I tried to like figure out how does this work and I was like, what is going on here? Maybe it would look very different. Maybe I would still be in a place where I wasn't actually um, able to, to do this more full time in a sense um, because of audience and, you know, being able to generate income or 
those things. So I'm very grateful for it. It's not, it's not shooting the lights out, but it's, um, it's, it's enough for now. And defining enough is an important thing in life. And I, I think that's a big thing for me, just trying to figure out like how much is enough, like what is enough? Am I, is doing this enough for me? And, and maybe it's not. And maybe and I need to reevaluate these things every now and again. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah, I really resonate with what you said because, you know, in 2017 or even probably earlier than that, if you started a YouTube channel and you made good content, like, you would notice through the the view count and stuff. But now I feel like while it is, I would say still an incredibly good time to get into the creator economy because it's not that old. Uh, it's way harder, way, way harder. Like I've been creating for, as I said, over two and a half years and uh, taken like many, many courses. I've spent way more than I've earned on getting better at content creation and it's such a slow process um like and and it's funny too because when you do actually end up growing it's usually from a snowball effect so it like creeps up on you out of nowhere and you're just like oh oh guess it's because guess we're guess it's happening now whereas for most of that time you're like watching and you're like oh four, four views that's nice it's interesting the snowball effects like i Depends what you're looking at. Like, if, to make a sustainable income living in the US, like, I, I was chatting to someone about this the other day. I don't like talking about salaries and whatever, but like, I'm not making a median US salary, like, in the moment. That's okay because I live in South Africa. Um, so mm. cost of living is much cheaper than the US. But if someone in my shoes, like, they'd have to be doing a lot of things differently, maybe putting more into marketing, maybe upping the price. Like, there's a whole bunch of things which I, my circumstances have given me the unique position to be able to do this. Um, and, you know, when people encourage blanket statements of like, everyone can be a creator and everyone has a course in them and everyone, I'm like, oh, yeah, not really. Like, that's uh, yeah. like, at some point, the pyramid of like the people that are like, you're able to support, um, Pyramid is a terrible word because it implies pyramids. But, um, yeah. <laughs> like it, falls, it falls away if everyone is doing their own thing and creating courses. And, um, yeah, the B2C economy falls away. But it, yeah. it's still, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm learning a lot. Um, I've improved my own personal knowledge management as a result of it. And that's been quite fun to be able to go deep into these things and like really think about them and think about why they, they, they make a difference. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know how long that's going to sustain me for. I, I really resonate with what, yeah, with what you said about like, not everyone is, is set up to, to have that life. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. Like, you know, not everyone wants to be a creator, but, um, it's like if, if no one, uh, like, like I would not want to work a nine to five personally. I'm not saying it's wrong to, mm. but if everyone had that mindset, the world would not work like if everyone was like i'm not going to do the nine to five i'm going to read the four hour work week and like quit my job and then you know go out and like set my own life it literally would not work and looping back to what i was saying earlier about like the motivational space that you encounter on youtube and like motivational content i think that's the big failing of that content where draws this like polarity of like good and bad like oh the nine and five is bad it's like 
you know what? Honestly, sometimes like I am seriously contemplating going back to nine to five job. There's something great about mm-hmm. structure. There's something great about being around people like on, on a day to day basis, working with people to solve problems collaboratively. Like all these things are great. Like w- when people say, Oh, you should be your own boss to do this. Like, yes, there's good things there too, but don't like paint the nine to five as like this terrible alternative it's a it's a very yeah. good alternative and it's a it's a very respectable alternative and you know yeah. people who will work nine to five their whole life there's nothing wrong with there's really nothing wrong with that in fact it's incredible like to support your family and even if you are in a job that you don't like and whatever something about their resilience there that a lot of people could learn from and a lot of people say oh i'm just quitting my job after two years and like I have got immense respect for people who have been in jobs like for a long time. The longest time that I ever worked at a company was two and a half years. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not a great track record. It, that's longer than a lot of people these days, but like it's, um, there's something about long term commitment and like growth in a company, which is, and in a nine to five, it's really admirable and persistence is like, there's something rich in that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Like, like, like you said, uh, we tend to create as humans, these, these categories and labels as like good or bad, like very polarized, but there's so much more nuance than that. Like everything is context, right? The nine to five for me personally, I think right now it could change in the future. I don't think I would like it, but for someone else, like, like you were saying right then, like, by all means, go for it. Like, especially if you've already been doing it for a while and like, maybe you even tried out the creator economy and then uh, it's it could be very easy to think, oh, there's something wrong with me because I don't enjoy the creator economy as much as I enjoy the nine to five. It's like, no, like there's a reason we've been, the nine to five has been a thing for for quite a long time is because like some people do resonate with the nine to fives. And you um, get security in it. It's a, it's a system yeah. that works. Like it's, there's definitely failings of the 95. And, you know, I, I think in the, in the States where people only get like 10 days of vacation a year, I don't think that's great. I think, you know, we should get more time off and whatever. But, um, there's definitely good things. Like, you know, I, I was laughing with my sister the other day. She's just had a baby and the baby loves routine. And I, and I was just laughing because I was like, you know what? I'm just a big grown up baby because I love routine too, but I've been smashing myself without routine for like all these times. I'm trying to like build routine. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't actually have to do that. Let me go for a walk with a friend. Let me go do that. And it's like, actually this year I've said to myself, I'm just going to work. And then I've become rigid about that too. And then I'm like, oh, should have gone and spent time with friends and should have. So it's always like, it's always play and like rigidity in any sense or dogmatism is dangerous. I think. Yeah. There, there's a, uh, idea I got from the the book Zen and Everyday Life by Charlotte Beck, which is when you renounce something in its entirety, you tie it closer to you. Hmm. So if I renounce sugar, like I'm never going to have added sugar again because like, oh, it's bad for you. And everyone says like, you shouldn't have added sugar. It's processed. If I like align my entire life around never having added sugar like when i go to a person's house that might not eat as healthily as normal and i'm like nope can't have any of your food that actually uh ties the thing closer to you weakens you more so than 
if you were just okay with being a bit flexible. Yeah. Like, you know, some, sometimes you just want to have some frosted flakes, you know? And yeah. like, there's nothing wrong with doing that every now and then. It's actually probably healthier than never allowing yourself any indulgence ever. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Marcus Aurelius, so whatever your Aurelius character was, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the counterpart to that. That's the counterpart, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's a great point. What are three books that have resonated with you most? Oof. So it's very interesting. You just mentioned one on Zen. Um, I just went on a Zen retreat um, oh. in May with a South African Zen teacher. And I've been reading his books. He's got three books, uh, Stup Zen, Zen Dust, and Mzanzi Zen. So Stup is an Afrikaans word for like a porch. And Mzanzi is like a South African word for South Africa. So it's all three books like in, of Zen practice in the context of South Africa. Um, and I have found his writing to be incredibly helpful just because he's gone through a lot of like South Africa's traumatic past and has gone, has been in different contexts and in immense suffering himself and has like sustained a practice through that. And I think there's like something rich about that. So I think that's like a all in one, like those Mzanzi Zen books or the Mzanzi Zen particularly has been very helpful. Um, the one which really helped us, and I think you would enjoy it as well. Actually, these two will, the next two will also help. Um, it's Anam Kara, A-N-A-M-C-A-R-A Kara by John O'Donoghue. And he was an Irish poet. Um, friends with David White. I don't know if you've come across David White. He's got some really great poetry. Um, and it's just a, it's a, it's a guide to cultic wisdom. So not cults, but C-E-L-T. Um, yeah. so, like the spiritual tradition of the Irish. And like, it really helped me just like reframe some things about work and, and, um, life in general. And actually, I lent that book to a friend who's living in Singapore and I really want to get it back. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> I'll wait until he comes back. Um, and then the final book is Siddhartha by Herman Oh, Hitz. I've read that. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> That's a really good book. Um, just like uh, the spiritual journey, figuring things out as you go along, it's not always being clear and it's not always being perfect, but it's, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a difficult um it's a difficult path and there's, there's many ways to do things, but like if the more you trust yourself, I don't want to say the better it will get for you because again, it's not like these things aren't cause and effect relationships. Life is not this linear thing where I can say to my advice and say to everyone, oh, you should do this and you should do and just trust yourself. I, I would encourage people to trust themselves more. I would encourage people to um, give themselves a break and practice self-love and self-care. but. Um, yeah, there's no one size fits all. But yeah, Siddhartha by Herman Hess is really a good book. Yeah, I'm going to write all of those down, except Siddhartha, I, I read that twice. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I especially like Zen. I'd love to dive more into that because this Zen book is the first one I've, I've read on Zen. I've read a lot in Buddhism, Taoism, Stoicism, and a, a bit into Confucianism, not as much, but... I, I would love to dive more into to Zen in particular. I think it, this is an interesting one because it's very South African focused or the stories feel very South African to me. I'm not sure 
actually don't even know if they're available anymore. They're out of print. Like I got very lucky oh. when I got them. Yeah. Wow. But um, I'll, I'll I'll share the names with you, and uh, maybe you'll get lucky. But yeah, I, he he reads from a book of cones called the Blue Cliff Record. So if you want to get into like deep Zen, that's like the Zen Bible that he refers to. But it's not it's not the Bible. But, I mean, they're yeah. different spiritual. <laughs> yeah. So what yeah. Uh, you knew this question was coming. Uh, what is the meaning of life for you? You know, I knew I knew the question was coming, and still it was so difficult and like all encompassing. And like, how do I answer this? Um, it's been something which I've I've been, I'd say, grappling with uh, recently, just because like, am I doing the things that I say I believe in? So if, I, if and and one of the things for me is like connection. Connection is is this higher order thing that I, I think is is. There's a lot of meaning in connection. And yet, if I am busy working on my own and not connecting with others or sacrificing time with others for my own projects, like that feels like there's a dissonance there. But yet, like there's always going to be paradoxes. Um, but yeah, I think oh, life, 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 life. Life is, um, it feels like a little bit absurd at times. Like uh, I've become, I've been comforted by absurdist philosophy of like you know, the myth of Sisyphus, like we're just pushing the rock up the hill only for it to roll back again. And we do that every day. And that gives us scope to eat, drink and be merry, enjoy the life and, and really find the things that are, um, that we resonate deeply with. Um, and I think connection is one of those things like, you know, there's a, there's a story called the egg by Mike Weir. Um, which talks about an, a story uh, of a man who dies and goes to this place beyond. And it's all like a, a philosophy or like a mythology of like what, what potentially we are. And basically, I don't want to spoil it for you or anyone who's listening and goes and reads this, but I highly encourage just reading that. Um, you know, I came from a very Christian background growing up um, and I've, I've always like yearned for like deep seated truths to which like which to hold on to, and sometimes those things have been forthcoming, sometimes they haven't. Um, but like the idea of connection and like like being um, on a path to to maturing in in who we are, and like I think that's there's something there. <laughs> And that's the, like across all spiritual traditions. Like, you know, the goal, there's like, they, they talk about the golden rule and ethics. I mean, ethics is the one subject I did very badly in, in university because I just thought this is a silly subject. But like, I wish I'd paid more attention now because some of those things are like the universal principles. Um, but the idea of humans being separated, that's so ingrained. And I feel like when we, when we, think about the golden rules all about doing to others as you want done unto yourself if we go down a level or up a level to the premise of that why is it that maybe it's because that person really is me in some way i am connected to them i am you know and who knows what that looks like i don't know what the mechanism of that is i don't know if it's like a some spiritual connection in the field or i, I don't know what that is but I, something deep inside me says that like i am not like I am not just me walking around and like as an individual ego who's going to um, 
I don't know, go and exert myself in the world. Like everything that I do has like reactions that are impacts on others. And I think if everyone embodied that um, and did things that were to the benefit of others, um, then it would be a lot better where we are. Um, and it's difficult. I mean, you need to need to make ends meet. We need to do things like people are suffering. There's like deep ingrained trauma, like it comes down generations. So like these things are very easy to say, but like if if I had to like encapsulate it, it feels absurd. But I think that there's something about connection, and I feel like we should pay attention to that. <laughs> That's what the meaning yeah. of life would be to me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it's a really difficult question. I think that was uh, quite a good attack at it. And I really liked what you said about it being so ingrained in our culture that humans are separate. Like you are an entirely different entity from your friend or your parent. And in many ways, like that has some degree of truth to it, but a lot of the spiritual literature, the big mindset frame is seeing yourself as like one thing mm. like dissolving the ego and realizing your interconnectedness of everything which i think is like a deeply deeply meaningful thing to do because you stop thinking about your, yourself all the time i think like night uh, like actually there is a quote i remember <laughs> from this zen book as well which was like um uh, there, there was like this person that kept going to a therapist to try and like improve their mental health. And the therapist at some point, um, I don't know if a therapist, if you don't, if you're a therapist listening, don't necessarily do this because it was pretty, pretty uh, direct. But they were like, uh, maybe the reason that you feel so bad is because you don't stop thinking about yourself. And because like the person just kept coming into the therapy and like it was all about them it was all about them every single time um yeah i don't know if that's the best way to go about therapy but <laughs> um the the idea is is i think that important in that like a lot of the problems we have are from like go mm. um yeah what it oh this is an interesting question i remember this is the first time i'm starting this as like a new tradition <laughs> uh which is what question would you like me to ask in the next podcast oh, i feel like it's a little bit layman but like or lay not lame lame not layman but like what what advice would you give to a, a version of yourself that's 10 years younger um i i feel like i she said would have been a I wish I could, you know, I wish this version of me could go back in time and give myself advice. And, you know, thinking ahead now, like in 10 years, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to think the same thing. So again, maybe there's a version of me that just like writes, engages in some sort of practice of like, Hey, in 10 years time, write a letter to yourself, like saying what you wish you'd learned. And maybe the things that I've been fighting with myself, because like the last few weeks, I've been like really fighting with a couple of things. Um, maybe they wouldn't be such a big deal. <laughs> so, yeah. That's such a great question. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, last, last question 
is there is there any questions I haven't asked that you would have liked me to ask? Not really. No, I think um, I think this has been it's been a great all encompassing discussion. I think it's it's nice to go down rabbit holes and not necessarily like <laughs> get into the technicalities. It'd be interesting to to see like how technique if you have a technical discussion with someone how you would manage that because i think it's like so difficult but like this yeah because you can't see the screen yeah, yeah that's why i like very good conceptual language of like a conceptual language yeah, yeah. You're like when i yeah so when i do this i tag it like in this way and then like yeah. oh i i don't think uh for me like the podcast is more interesting when you talk about the higher level than like mm. You know, if I had every single person come on here and like, uh, tell me your in-depth tagging structure yeah. inside what of are you, uh, your <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely not. Uh, where can people outside of the podcast reach you? Who? Um, well, I've got the website, onestutteringmind.com, um, YouTube channel, onestutteringmind, Twitter, same. I think it's onestuttering on Twitter, um, but they'll see my picture. Um, and then I also... There's contact details there for me if, if anyone's interested. I also have another website, which is like, I'm trying to think about more business side of things, which is combiningminds.org and uh, log seat Bastry if people want to buy the course. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on. This has been absolutely wonderful. Like you said, an all-encompassing conversation.